listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. told of two monks, two priests uh, from some time ago. And these monks were on a pilgrimage and they came before the head of a river. When they got to the head of the river, they saw that there was another woman who had been there even well before them and she was dressed in fine clothes. She looked very good and she was sitting there perplexed and didn't know what to do, obviously because she didn't want to mess up her clothes. And so without much discussion, one of the monks just grabbed her, put her on his back, and carried her across the river and set her down on dry ground, and they kept walking, he and his buddy. And after a couple minutes, one thing his buddy just kept saying is, surely it is not right for a man to touch a woman. (laughs) Surely it's not right for a monk to break the commandments and to come that close in contact with a lady. And he just kept on for a half hour. They're walking, still on their pilgrimage. And he's saying, surely it's not right for a man to touch that woman. Surely what you did was the wrong thing. And finally, the guy who carried her said, hey, bro, I put that lady down an hour ago. Why are you still carrying her? (laughs) You know, the reality is that legalism causes us to exercise judgment over other people. Legalism and self-righteousness, it leads us down a, a slippery slope. The truth is, legalism is a deadly sin. I think it's no wonder that if we, if we were to turn to Matthew chapter 23, which we may visit some of these passages or some of these scriptures in a moment, that when Paul, uh, Jesus himself was talking about legalism and, and speaking to the Pharisees, he called them things like blind fools. He called them snakes. He called them hypocrites. And he asked a rhetorical question. He said, how in the world will you escape being condemned to hell? In talking about all of the righteousness that they practice, the self-righteousness, the deeds that outwardly present themselves as being those with which we get saved. And so as we turn turn to Colossians chapter 2, We find Paul turning his attention away from the false teachers who were trying to reject Christ to now the false teachers and false teaching that would more so try and make me him. You know, I'm, I'm a person who would put myself forward as Christ, as the judge, as the one who would say, I can measure whether or not you genuinely belong to him. We're going to be in verses 16 down to 23 today, and we're just going to see a little bit of legalism and what Paul's response to it and what he says we ought to do. We're going to see three reasons to reject legalism. Here they are. We reject legalism because it's rituals without the reality. Rituals without the reality. Secondly, because it is and promotes righteousness without relationship. And lastly, because it is ultimately religion without results. 
We reject legalism and self-righteousness and all that comes with it because it promotes rituals without reality, righteousness without relationship, and religion without results. Let's look to the text and read it together. Beginning in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences or the indulgence of the flesh. The title of our sermon today really simply is Practice Don't Make Perfect. Practice Don't Make Perfect. One of the things that we have to be careful to do before we even jump in on a sermon like this is to define what are you talking about when you say legalism? People throw legalism out all the time. People say, that's legalism. You're a legalist or you're a moralist. So I want to kind of define that before we get started. I'm drawing that term from the place of a person trying to pass judgment or disqualify you based on insisting that you've got to uh, have these false senses of humility, et cetera, et cetera, which we're going to unpack a little bit. But the definition of the term that I want you to be thinking is this. At the heart of legalism is pride. At the heart of all legalism is pride. The legalist is a person who prides himself on his ability to keep the commandments. And sometimes those commandments are not even scriptural or biblical. It's just a man-made thing, as we see, a man-made or self-made religion. And that person prides himself on it, and they also use that to tower over other people to measure whether or not you genuinely are spiritual or worse yet, saved. A legalist thinks that he himself is made acceptable to God by what he does. And that same person will look at others and say, I don't know whether or not you really are in because you do or you don't do this or that. So it's all about uh, salvation, spirituality, and even the way we grow in sanctification. And Paul says, therefore, let nobody pass judgment on you in these ways. This is really just a um, a sermon that connects to the previous paragraph, the previous thought, which we walked through last week. Paul's telling these believers that are under attack by different false teachers that you need to see to it, and you need to commit yourself to making sure that you don't allow anybody to add anything to Christ because it's all about Jesus, and Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. And so what he's saying is it's all about Christ. 
He fulfilled all the ceremonial laws. He kept the Old Testament law to its perfection. And ultimately, he did that as a substitute for all who believe in him. And so therefore, don't allow anybody to pass judgment on you. The main idea, I think, is that Christians must reject legalism and self-salvation or self-righteousness because salvation and sanctification come by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And as a sub-point to that, religion and self-righteousness is really just a co-enabler of man's sin. It's of no power against it. It's powerless. And so this is what Paul walks us through as he calls us to reject legalism. Let's look at the first point. Remember, we reject legalism because it promotes rituals without the reality. Look at the text with me in verse number 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You had these false teachers who were coming before the Colossians and trying to express to them that they had to keep all of these commitments, daily commitments. You see daily because it has to do with what they, what they eat or what they drink. Beyond that, you see weekly, Sabbath. You've got to rest on this day. And the only way that you can be approved by God is if you keep the Sabbath in literal keeping of it from Friday evening all the way on through Saturday. And then from there, what do you find? You find even a monthly, a new moon, right? We still see new moons. We look forward to that sometimes. I do. On the east end, you can see the moon really well. And it's beautiful, but the reality is, is that there were, there were celebrations and observations that were made that said, hey, if you're really a spiritual person, you're going to keep this. And you're also going to keep the festivals, the things that happen on an annual basis. So every day and every week and every month and every year, you've got to keep these things in order, in order to be saved. Paul says, all those things really only point to Jesus Christ. Even if you begin to think about food and drink, if you begin to think about the Sabbath, if you begin to think about anything, those things are just a shadow that points to the greater reality, which is Jesus. I've just talked, I'm speaking firsthand from Paul, I've just talked about the fact that he is preeminent and above all of creation because he created it all, and it was created all for him. I've been helping you to understand that just a couple verses ago, uh, all of the fullness of God dwelled in his body. And what he did with that body as a substitute was nail it to a cross on behalf of all who believe in him. There's no way in the world that you can find a greater rest than the rest that is found for the soul when you believe in Jesus Christ and you know that there is therefore now no condemnation for all who believe. No greater rest can be found because you take off for the Sabbath. 
Now, Paul, the writer here, he actually did these things. He observed the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a person who actually kept and observed the law because he did so in order to win people. He wanted to not cause others to stumble. And so before you think that what he's saying is throw the baby out with the bathwater, no, what he's saying is reject these things if it says that, hey, this is what I'm after and this is what gets me into a good place with God. It would be like meeting someone online and and dating with them for a while virtually and then going and when you finally get to a place where you see them in person, you fall down on the ground and say, oh my gosh, look at your shadow. (laughs) Does that make any sense? It makes no sense whatsoever. And that's what Paul is saying. Religion that is detached from the grace of God in the gospel has no bearing whatsoever on our salvation. He says you must reject it. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you is the language that he used. Pass judgment, he actually speaks in legal terms of an, a, a person who can make the decisive determination on where you are with God. And so anybody who makes themselves out to be God, to judge you, to make themselves to be Christ, to say that they are the judge. He said, don't let anyone do that. I don't care who they are. Why? Because it's all about Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is really sweet and it's really good news for us who believe, not for those who perform or try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Does that make sense? What Paul is essentially saying is that these false teachers are ignoring the reality. They're into all sorts of rules, but they have nothing to do with the risen Christ. Don't eat this. Don't drink that. Don't go here. Don't go there. Make sure you keep all of the laws, rituals, without the reality. In addition to rituals without reality being that which makes us, like, we have to be laser focused. He's still in the same lane of thought where he says, see to it, right? Now he's saying, let no one. I mean, he's serious. These are, these are commands. Paul's not kidding here. He's, he's relatively upset if you, if you can understand the tone of what he's saying. And so he goes on and he says, we also must reject legalism because it uh, ultimately promotes righteousness without relationship. And I consider saying relationships. So maybe put a parenthesis there and put an S around it. Here's why. Beginning in verse number 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So he has just said, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Now he says, don't let anyone disqualify qualify you. Most uh, scholars would say that this is where we get our English word for umpire. Any baseball fans here? Anybody know or understand the game of baseball, baseball at least? What is the job of the umpire? His job is to make calls and to get them right. 
I just found out this week as I tried to study, so what is this umpire business all about? I just found out that it's really hard to land that job, and it takes excruciatingly painful, like, practice and training. It takes a lot in order to become an umpire because you've got to make decisive, like, millisecond determinations quickly, and you've got to get them right. Somebody's throwing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball within a 12-inch span. Like, it has to get here, and you need to be able to know whether the bat barely tipped it so it's a foul, whether it's a strike, whether it is a ball. I mean, there's a lot to it. And then if you're out at first base, did his foot get to the base before the ball got to the pitcher, uh, the, the guy's glove, right? Or third base, and on and on and on. So the umpire has this idea that I make determinations based on what is right or what is wrong. And Paul says, don't let anybody make themselves your umpire by doing what? Insisting on asceticism. The word asceticism really is hard. It's hard to really, uh, I mean, we don't talk like that, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that this word is used positively most of the time throughout the New Testament. It just means humility. Humility. Sometimes modesty. So is humility or modesty wrong? I had to ask myself. Well, no, because Paul used this sarcastically. False humility, humility pseudo-humility. The kind of modesty that says, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I only wear my hair this way. I don't wear any makeup. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't know what, oh my goodness, he or she, I can't believe that they. <gasps> Paul says, don't let anyone insist on you some kind of rule or regulation, some kind of a religion that puts you into a box and says, you've got to keep this in order to be saved. The umpire decides against, takes part against, or even condemns, right? I mean, the umpire is the one who says, you're out. And Paul is saying here that if somebody... It's trying to tell you that you can attain a high spiritual or moral state by practicing a rigorous self-denial. Reject it. Don't have anything to do with it. Don't let anyone insist on that and make themselves your empire so as to say, you got to do this in order to be saved. And he goes on and he says, the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And this is uh, difficult to interpret as well, but at the end of the day, what do you usually find with the legalist? It's usually a person who has come to some high spiritual knowledge on their own. They're not in community for sure, and that person just knows exactly what you need to do in order to be saved, and they're giving you all kinds of lists. Every rule, every do, every don't do, all the thou shalt nots and all the thou shalt. They seem to know those things by heart, and oftentimes there's just some kind of a attractiveness for those of us who think through like spiritual gifts and you know what we understand from charismatic theology there's this attractiveness to being able to be in my prayer closet and only I know what I'm saying or only I have seen this kind of right this kind of prophecy or I've seen these visions I've had these dreams I mean that happens so frequently. I'm, 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 I'm speaking slowly here because I know you can think of people. You probably had experiences. You've had conversations. Paul said, don't let anybody be an umpire over you because you don't see this vision or understand this spiritual experience. 
He actually says they go on and on insisting on those things because of their mind of flesh. It's natural. It's not supernatural. It's their sensuous mind. It's a wicked generation that seeks after a sign. I just got to have an experience. I got to feel something. Have you ever considered that that too is legalism? It can be. Paul uses humility sarcastically to express what he means by what they insist on. And then he goes on and says they're puffed up. Knowledge puffs up. You think of, That's why I say at the core, right, uh, religion and, and self-salvation or, or self-righteousness at the core, it's pride. It's like somehow the, 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 uh, the religious or the legalist person can be proud of their humility, however you can do that. I remember I had a friend who made a, a rap album, and it was called Why So Serious, and one of the things that he said on there was like, man, like I'm the most humble person that you know. And it was like the skit in there. It was just so funny because he was like rhetorically going after this thing and just saying like, why is it that we get so puffed up in our chests about who we are and what we do? Like, I don't know how it happens to us, but Paul says like, hey, you need to reject it. Like resist it, but do it, do it strongly. Don't have anything to do with it. But look at what else he says about their supposed righteousness. And this is where I said righteousness without relationship or relationships. In verse number 19, he says it's not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Legalism is, is, is so easily like isolated. You have this person who just knows everything and so they can't really fit in a place like this in the context of Christian community. For the most part, they'll usually find themselves somewhere out and away and the, the, the best they can do is get next to other people who profess to uh, have faith and just to say like, yeah, but you got to add these things. You're not really there. Like, do you guys do it this way? Well, how, how do you guys do this? Well, when do you do that? Do you guys tracking with me? I'm trying to be charitable here, but you know what I'm talking about. And again, you can probably even envision those persons, even if it's the man in the mirror. Right? You know what I'm talking about. When he talks about the fact that they are disconnected from the head, he's saying it doesn't matter how high and how spiritual they claim themselves to be, it has nothing to do with the head of the body who is who? Jesus Christ. They're not attached to the body. They don't hold fast to the head. There are implications here for how we ourselves really grow. He says that using the analogy of the body, right, we get nourished and we are knit together. This is the same language he used a couple moments ago about unity and love, being knit together in love. So this is idea that you and I are inextricably tied together in Christ, and that's how we grow. God gives us growth because you admonish me, you exhort me, you pray for me, I do the same for you. We teach one another. We sing psalms and hymns uh, together towards one another. We do all these things, and we do them in the context of community, and we grow like that. But the legalist, oh no. He's out here. He's a lone ranger. He does his own thing. And that's typically one of the telltale signs for how you can, how you can see it. 
It's your professing Christian friend that you've been inviting to come and to be a part of your gospel community. Or you've been inviting them to come, say, hey, we gather on Sunday afternoons. You should come. And they're like, Sunday afternoons? <laughs> I don't know about that. Don't, you, got, we, you have to do it on Saturday. Or do the women wear pants there? Does the preacher wear a tie? Then I'm not coming. You guys understand what I'm saying and what I'm getting at here. Not holding fast to the head and thereby not growing. Paul calls us joints and ligaments and says that we grow because God nourishes us in Christ. Verse number 19 basically tells us that legalism detaches the faith community from its Lord just like decapitation severs a head from its body. It kills the faith. There's no faith community. There's no none of that happening when it's all about what you do. And it absolutely destroys life. It ain't life-giving, and it doesn't lead to eternal life. Reject it. Reject it. You have people who seem to exalt themselves more than they exalt God, than they exalt God's word. They seem to enjoy their own will in their own way more than they prefer uh, other brothers and sisters who they do life with. Or worse, they just don't even do that. And Paul's telling you that they're operating in the flesh and they're not connected to Christ. It's not the Spirit. Here's the last point. We reject legalism because it is ultimately religion without results. This one is pretty clear in our text. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? He gets into this place where he just asks a rhetorical question. Okay, so wait a minute. We've already been talking about the fact that you've died with Christ and been raised with him. You have a new life. This is not the same you, right? You, you've, been, you've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Then why is it that these basic fundamental things that organize the way in which people may express religion, why are you turning to those things for salvation. If you died to the law that was nailed against the cross, verse number 14 that told us, if you died to the law that stood against you with all kinds of legal demands, but Christ disarmed all the authorities that would have tried to judge over you, whether it be angelic or demonic or just the law itself, he took all of this stuff out of the way, and you died with him and have been given new life. Why do you submit yourselves to these ordinary, elementary principles? Things that have to do with just the natural norm. What things? I'm glad you asked. Verse number 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 22 says these all refer to things that perish as they are used, and they're according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you turn away from the God of heaven and the Spirit of God that lives in you to turn to human precepts and natural teachings that suppose that somehow they can make you be in right standing with God. Paul's, I mean, he's, a, he, he's, he's great at this because now 
they have answering to do, right? <laughs> they just turned it around, or he just turned it around on them. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why is it that somebody can tell you, hey, Dave, you actually don't need to have your faith in Christ, or at the very minimum, you got to have that, plus you can't, you can't eat meat. Can't wear, you know, those kinds of clothes or whatever it might be. Why would you turn back to individuals who would be telling you that and living in accordance to it? Well, I'll tell you, it's because false teaching, like we said last week, is very deceptive. Oftentimes, it's, it's believable. Oftentimes, it's something that just seems so right on the outside. I talked about Matthew 23 in the beginning. How about I just name some of the stuff that Jesus said when he pronounced the seven woes? He said in verse number 14, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why did he say that? Well, because you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. These are the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. Well, how do they do that? Here's another verse. He says, you travel over land and sea and to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Then he goes on, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. But you've neglected the more important, the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faithfulness. So you give a whole bunch of money, you let everybody know that you're doing that, but you reject care for the fact that God's word would be upheld and the, his law of justice would be upheld, that things would go right in the world, that you would be merciful as Christ is merciful, that you would just be faithful. You reject those things, he says to these teachers of the law and Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. So he pictures this idea that you just pick up this really nice, beautiful vessel, cup or a bowl, and you just start get to scrubbing, and you make it look really good, but the spaghetti I had two days ago is still in it. I mean, this is what legalism and self-righteousness produces clean, big smile, pious, high-minded, chin-up death. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. He said, the person who would consider themselves to be saved on their own effort and by their own doing is like a beautifully whitewashed, I'm talking like pressure washed and steamed clean grave. Graveyard. I mean, it's nothing but dead man's bones on the inside. On the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything in clean, unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as being righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. When Paul said, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom 
in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, that false humility, and even said severity of the body because, you know, like if you think about what a, I started with a story of a monk, right? Martin Luther was a monk and he talks about throwing himself in, his, himself in briar patches just to make his flesh hurt so that he wouldn't do anything wrong. I mean, this is the extent that some people go to with their religion. He says that these things, even when you're harming and hurting yourself, these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Our hearts are so sinfully darkened and wicked after the fall of man into sin that we need absolute rescue. We need resuscitation. We need resurrection. We don't need somebody to just come alongside us and help us and give us a whole bunch of religion or rules. The religion and the rules have no value. They cannot help you. They, you it's, it's, you're going to be just like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things that I want to do, I do not do. And everything I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Who can help me? And then he says, but thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's only the gospel that does what? Transforms us and has the ultimate impact on the indulgence of our flesh. It changes us from the inside out. Now all of a sudden, the things that I, I want to do are things that Christ wants me to do. The things that I love are the things that Christ loves. Things that I hate are things that Christ hates. It, I mean, it, 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 it changes your whole life, but religion, it, it just says it's in no value, no value of stopping the flesh. That's why I called it a co-enabler of man's sinfulness and powerless against it. Let me give you three real quick scenarios. Maybe you're sitting in here and you are the person who would be the legalist. That you would be believing that in some way your efforts have you on good terms with the Lord and maybe even uh, you put, put that over others. You need to cling to Christ. You're not God and you're not even the Holy Spirit. You cannot save yourself, nor do your rules get anyone else there. If you're just a, a, a baby legalist, you're kind of in the middle. It's not, well, I don't think it saves, right? But it is kind of how we get, no. He said, not attached to the head, and you don't grow with a growth that comes from God by being even a, a slight legalist or a moralist, self-righteous person. So you're not even sanctified by your efforts in the way that you may think. You need Jesus. Cling to Christ. If you're the person who's sitting in here and you're more licentious and you're like, yeah, I'm so glad he's preaching this message because, man, I just, I, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Well, hold on, hold on. There's a whole nother chapter coming next week that we'll jump into that continues talking about what Paul has really started to say. Therefore, walk in a manner that is worthy to the calling with which you have received. Therefore, walk in the same way that you have received Jesus Christ. You walk by faith, and in walking, you will have a, a sort of self-denial. There will be things that uh, become distasteful. There, you will understand the difference between sin and not sin, moral choices and immoral choices. Those things become clear, and you're still called to walk those things out. But what Paul isn't doing is he's not calling uh, you to become so worldly in order to reject the, 
the legalist. I think sometimes we get confused with that. Oh, I could just do whatever I want because I've been saved by God's grace. Well, no, Paul's not doing that in the same way that I wouldn't force something like alcohol on you and make you do that. Or even if you've made a conscious decision not to eat meat or you've made a conscious decision about whatever your devotion to Christ is, the difference maker is going to be what you've heard me say over and over again, because of or in order to. The difference maker is what is the motivation? Am I doing this because of God's grace and because of my propensity towards sin and what I know I'm like? This is a vice for me, so I just don't go back there because I know that it leads me away from Jesus and the faith. Or am I doing this in order to get close to him, in order to prove that I'm good, in order to uh, earn salvation? That's a question for us at all times. And for the last person, I would say, if you're a seeker here and you're still trying to figure these things out, I would just say I'm pretty sure that you've heard uh, arguments on both sides and you're still trying to figure out what is this whole religion thing about. And to that, I'll just say the message for you today is simple, that Jesus paid it all. Jesus Christ, it's all about him and there's nothing that you can do that will satisfy your debt against God other than put your faith in him and him alone. In the verses that we talked about last week, he said that God has made us alive and he's done things like forgiven us all of our trespasses. He's canceled our record of debt. There is a very, very clear a difference between a person who believes that and therefore begins to live a new life because they are now alive in Christ and they used to be dead, which would essentially make you a zombie. There's a difference between that person and a person who doesn't believe that, rejects the Messiah, or says he's not enough and I'm going to go and I'm going to try and earn salvation on my own. If you're here and you're a seeker and you're still trying to figure it out, at the end of the day, Jesus Christ, it's all about him. He paid it all. All you got to do is believe in him. He'll change everything in your life that he wants changed. Believe him. Now to close, I have an illustration or a story. Many years ago, the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing the Milwaukee Braves in Milwaukee. It was the fourth inning, the Brooklyn Dodgers had uh, right-hander Bob Milliken up, and he was facing the Braves shortstop Johnny Logan. There were runners on first base and on second base. And there was two outs. With the count of two and two, which would mean that you got two balls and two strikes, the pitcher threw a ball that was low and away from the plate. And the umpire immediately said, Walk. Logan standing at the plate with the bat in his hand trying to figure out what do you mean? He said later in an interview, I couldn't believe that I missed the pitch somehow. He had just been given a walk on a third ball, not a fourth ball. And the umpire sent him on his way and sent him up to first base. Now the bases are loaded. The scoreboard called him wrong. The coaches, the crowd, everybody's saying that's absolutely a bogus call. Ultimately, the scoreboard was changed. Bases are loaded. Next batter comes up. Swing. 
and hits a grand slam, all four runs. After a moment, they were out, and the next batter up was Jackie Robinson. He walked up with the bat in his hand, and he said to the umpire, that was the worst call I have ever heard or seen in my entire life. And the umpire said, you listen here, boy. You're going to be quiet, and you're going to bat, or I'm going to kick you out of the game. Jackie Robinson said, well, you already ruined everything. You may as well do that. And he walked off the field. Now, all of us, if you know anything about Jackie Robinson, you know he had a temper that he had to control for like 10 different reasons. But in that moment, that attitude towards that call of that umpire who was clearly off is the attitude that Paul is telling us we must have against legalism and those who would try and tell us that we've got to add something to our faith. Reject it at all costs. Is that clear? Is that clear? 